Hello and welcome to the How CMOs Commit podcast. I'm Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale. This is a podcast to explore how the world's top CMOs are building their brands and the professional commitments they are making as leaders. This podcast is a recording of our Future of Branding series. From the decisions facing CMOs to the commitments they are forging, the conversations are uniquely vulnerable and strategic. Please be sure to listen to the end when I provide my reflections. This is how CMOs commit. Hello and welcome to the Siegel and Gale Future of Branding Roundtable. Every episode, we meet a panel of marketing leaders live to explore how they are building their brands. I'm your host, Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale. Siegel & Gale is a preeminent brand strategy, design and experience firm. Continuing our inclusive storytelling series, I'm delighted to welcome you to our panel today on inclusive storytelling and black leadership. Today, we intentionally focus on the insights and contributions of seven Black leaders from across North America, United Kingdom, and Africa. I will have one-on-one -on -one conversations with six marketing leaders to hear their personal stories, both as marketers and members of the Black community. We will observe how brands observe Black History Month and explore insights for all marketers and provide perspectives for all marketers who want to celebrate Black culture. I then turn to Maurice Jones, a dear friend of Siegel and Gale, to share a groundbreaking and very tangible way brands can engage Black talent, not just this month, but all year long. I will then return to all our speakers for our signature commitments round. Now we are thrilled to welcome hundreds of new and returning guests to our audience today. I invite you all to let us know where you are joining from. Please do so in the chat and select everyone. I also invite you to respond to our opening one word question. With that, speakers, are we ready? Fantastic. So as I introduce you, please answer this question in one word. When you hear Black History Month, what word comes to mind? And our first speaker is Michael Smith, the CMO of NPR, joining us today from Maryland. Good morning and your word, please, Michael. Yeah, good morning. My word is conflicted. Conflicted. Let's now go to Minneapolis to greet Lisa Golson Armstrong, CMO of Residio. Margaret, hello. My word is belonging. Okay. Next, we go to London, where Carrie Timms is the Director of Global Consumer Marketing for EMEA at Meta. Everyone, my word is joy. 
And now we go across to Portland to say hello to Aaron Sebron, VP US Sports at Adidas or Adidas, depending on, on your accent on the day. Aaron, what's your word? Thanks for having me, Margaret. My word is excellence. Excellence. Lauren Kelly is the CMO at Thought Exchange, joining today from LA. Hello, Lauren. Hello, Margaret. How are you doing? My word is performative. I can already tell this is going to be interesting. Now we're going to Lagos, Nigeria to greet Nasimi Ogeti Alakwe, a recent marketing director at Unilever. Nasima. Hello, Margaret. Hello, everyone. My word is resilience. Resilience. Thank you so much. And finally, patiently waiting, Maurice Jones, CEO of 110, who tells me he's in Philadelphia today. I am. Good morning to you. My word is grace. Grace. Marvelous. So with this wonderful set of words, we will begin the individual conversations. Michael, you were first up, and I believe you said conflicted. Tell us why, please. Yeah, I think about a, a quote from James Baldwin where he said, uh, I love America more than any country in the world. And for exactly this reason, I insist on the right to to criticize her perpetually. So I, maybe that's why I'm a little bit of a contrarian on this. I, I'm conflicted because it is, as people said, graceful and, and joyous that we do take a month to you know, highlight and celebrate the achievements of Black Americans but it also reminds me of you know why we need to do that you know the, the what america has done and the debt america has to black americans and it you know it would be a, to me a, a better world where we didn't need to celebrate you know black american achievements just for one month it was something we celebrated all the time and was woven into the fabric of our just just our society in general so i think to, to somebody mentioned you know the word performative there there's something about America is saying, well, okay, we're going to celebrate Black History Month. Uh, you know, we check that box. Okay, well, let's go back to, to the uh, discriminatory and racist America we have for the other 11 months. And then, and then in 12 months, we'll celebrate them again. Yeah. So that's why I feel conflicted. Thanks for sharing that, Michael. And would you share a little bit about your background? I know you've had a remarkable career in media and entertainment, and perhaps how that influences your thinking around inclusive storytelling with an emphasis on our roles as marketers in particular. Yeah, I mean, my commitment and just affinity for inclusiveness just goes back to my own background. I've, I've always felt like I've been an outsider. I was actually born to Jamaican parents in Western Canada, and we were out, you know, out, obviously I felt like an outsider being a little black kid in, in uh, Western Canada. And then I moved to Jamaica when I was a couple of years old. And I felt like an outsider in Jamaica being a, a Jamaican kid who you know had a Canadian accent. And then I moved to the United States and thought again you know, when I was about nine years old and wasn't uh, also felt like an, you know, an outsider, um, both in in black America being you know, a Jamaican kid and and also in just in America in general. So I've always had an affinity and a sensitivity to the experience of being on the outside. And so it's maybe you know highly sensitive in all the marketing work that I do to think about marginalized groups, just audiences that uh, you know that that are being overlooked and how to to leverage them. And and it's you know it's 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 a it's a moral challenge and initiative, but What's encouraging to me is that now it's becoming just a necessary challenge for businesses to to survive when you think of the, the increasing diversity of our you know of our society. So, 
And when we think about NPR, a remarkable organization, you reach 60 million people every month with a beautiful mission. How do you, in your role there, think about honoring Black History Month? Yeah, you know, our mission as an organization is to create a more informed public. And that word public is something that we honestly have maybe, you know, not lived up to um, our creed on because it's it's not just informing, you know, you know upscale people in, in the big cities. It's really all of America and including all of America in, the, in, the, in that public. Been working very hard internally, both in the staffing and the story selection and the marketing and the kinds of content that we make to really make our content reflect uh, the audience we serve. Our North Star priority as an organization is to is to diversify our audience to better reflect and serve serve America. So you'll hear, I mean, we have a feature th- this month on our website all about Black History Month, but it, but it goes beyond that. I think if you just listen to our content 24-7 throughout the year, whether it's in our flagship radio, daily radio broadcasts, like All Things Considered in Morning Edition, the stories we cover, whether it's in shows like Code Switch or It's Been a Minute or this new series we have with Jay Williams called The Limits, we're constantly taking a look at marginalized groups and, and, and just celebrating actually the joyous side. You know, I think and two years ago, there was, again, I felt a little conflicted because there was so much attention on a Black America, but, but that attention was around police violence. And a lot of our storytelling was about those, you know, about those, the, those stories. And we, we heard a lot of feedback, especially from people inside NPR, that that's great. You're, we're spotlighting you know, Black American issues. But how about, you know, the good story, the good, you know, the positive stories? Uh, so that's something that... Uh, is, is is really important to us. And I suppose your mission is arguably around creating a more informed and, and, and culturally fluent society. With, with that in mind, Michael, can you share a little about the composition of your audience and, and how the audience has responded to this programming? Yeah, your audience really varies across platform. Our radio audience, which is our oldest and most traditional way of reaching people, that audience is uh, averages about 50 years old. It's about 80% white. So it's not as reflective of the United States. But the exciting thing is our fastest growing audiences are, are our digital audiences and the, our podcast and our you know, website audiences. And in podcasting, we're, you know, we're the number two podcaster in, in the country. And the podcast audience is about 41% people of color, which is really exciting to us. Our digital audience on YouTube, we have a popular series called Tiny Desk Concerts. That audience is actually about 35% Black listening to to the music concerts. So we, we, we see meeting people where they are as the way to really diversify our audience. And so really pushing into digital, uh, digital content more. Acknowledging that you are conflicted around Black History Month, what advice would you offer to other marketers who want to honor the community? Well, I think it, you know a lot of it is about being authentic in your storytelling and to really make uh, the your storytelling feel like it's um, you know created by the community, for the community, and about the community, you know, and not make it feel like it's somebody else's perspective spotlighting, like, hey, look at the, you know, these Black people, but really tell stories from the perspective of Black Americans. And and that's something we've been working on very hard in, in terms of just, you know, the language our, our hosts and, and reporters use, being accessible, you know, uh, paying attention to, to tone, allowing people to really be themselves when they're on air, 
you know, normalizing the Latin, Latin, Latinx inflections and ways of speaking in the in the content, you know, putting our multicultural talent really in the forefront and making it feel like this is really organic. This isn't, a, you know, a, a special initiative. Hey, thank you very much for that, Michael. Let's now go to Lisa in Minneapolis. Lisa, your word, I believe, was belonging. Tell us why. So my word was belonging. And I think for me, you know, it was really, as you think about the um, diversity, inclusion and equity, I know a lot of people focus on the diversity, which is definitely uh, something that we're still working on and advancing. But for me, it's less about the perception and statistics um, and the training. It really is about how people feel and really about the inclusion piece. And I think for me, that's really what we're trying to give um, intentionality around is how to make people feel that they belong somewhere. And so that's why I chose the word belonging. You know, I want to just add a little bit, you know, that you mentioned I'm from Minneapolis. And so Minneapolis is very, uh, it's been a hotbed for the last couple of years. And I think we're struggling with lots of things and so much to unpack. I can't unpack in a minute. But I think for me, when I think about Black Lives Matter, and I think about things that are been happening here. The ultimate is having that everyone belongs and everyone matters. And so for me, that's what's really important. It's, it's that looking at the inclusion piece of it. And Lisa, I know we have in you another Canadian in the house. I know. <laughs> Not only am I a Canadian, I feel like I have a Canadian, but I also Michael Smith. I'm, my parents are Jamaican, so we have a lot to talk about later. <laughs> so tell me a little about your background here, Lisa, and how that influences your perspective as a marketer and a storyteller. Yeah, you know, I share a little bit of a common um, background with Michael, who just spoke around um, being from Jamaican parents. Michael, I grew up in Toronto, so we didn't have that type of experience of being out West. So unlike that experience, I actually grew up in a very multicultural neighborhood. I say that every single country was represented in the cul-de-sac that I grew up. So I actually took for granted as a child just how the world was because of me being growing up with so many folks around me of every different nationality that I consider to be friends and family. So I come to looking at all of this through a real broad diaspora of Blackness and just multicultural in general, um, given my experience. And so for me, that whole thing around belonging and inclusion, I speak from that all the time. And I feel like I could put myself in the shoes of many, many people. And I do that in, in my perspective. I get to run a work in a global company. I go to countries all over the world. And with me, I bring that sensitivity around just having a good understanding of, of different cultures. Now, Lisa, you're at Residio, $5 billion smart home technology company. Tell us how you're thinking about honoring Black History Month and do you honor it in at the company? Yes, thank you for that. So at Residio, you know, diversity is really centered on employees because again, we're less of a consumer brand, but more of a B2B. And for us, our employee resource groups are themed around being you. So we have a whole thing called being you at Residio. Black at Residio, see my t-shirt here? I'm supporting it. And all of our groups have kind of a, um, are part of this ERG and it's showing how do you show up at work as being, being yourself. It's really important for specifically for Black History Month. I'm actually get to be in your spot and moderate a conversation tomorrow with one of our newly hired C-level executives who happens to be an African-American woman. And we're going to talk about her story, right? Her early days from Africa to the UK to now being in the US. And we're going to talk about some of the struggles of being a minority, about being a woman. Um, and we're going to do this conversation really to provide context and understanding of our experience. And as a Black exec executive, a Black parent, 
And as someone who shows up, you know, with multi-layered experience in the workplace, what does that mean? And how can our colleagues really learn from this story? And so that's a really think that's really important for us to do as part of Black History Month. It's also, I think for me as a company, new territory for us. So Residio is, you know, we spun off from Honeywell Home just a few years ago. And so this is actually a new journey um, to have these open conversations. And I think that for me and myself and, and the, the lady I'm interviewing tomorrow, we're also far along in our career to make these bold moves, um, supported by a new leadership team that's really trying to create a different culture. So for me, that's kind of what we're, we're doing for Black History Month um, this month. What advice, Lisa, would you offer to other B2B leaders and B2B CMOs as they think about contributing to, in a positive way, the conversation around Black History Month? You know, I feel like I'm coming after Michael and saying a lot of things he said, but for me, showing up authentically is really important. So I think for me, you know, celebrating holidays such as Black History Month, or better yet, diversity all year long, really needs to be tied to a company's mission, their values, and their brand, and trying to find those ways that makes it authentic. So for us, you know, as you said, a smart home solutions company, for us, it really is about ensuring that everyone has access to a healthy and safe home. So for me, it's really looking at that broader of how do you bring more people into that, you know, American dream of owning a home? How do we partner with companies like or associations like Habitat for Humanity or Mission 500 and things that are working in that space of of safety in homes? We look at our ecosystem of uh, professionals, you know, installers, electricians, those people who install our products where trades have been an interesting area where people can actually go into trades and actually help kind of break the poverty cycle. So we look at how do we bring people into the ecosystem with training and scholarship. So for me, it's trying to find a way to connect what you do and your brand to the things that you do. And if you you do it in an authentic way, then I think not only are you helping your purpose, but you're helping uh, more and more people. Thank you very much for that, Lisa. So let's go to London. Carrie, I believe you said your word was joy. I did indeed. The reason I said joy is because honestly, I do believe that being black is joyful. Um, and I think Michael alluded to this a little bit where certainly not just from the US, but from a global perspective, I think sometimes we can get it into a bit of a, a cycle where we're always focused as black people um, on the challenges of inequality and injustice. And for me, whilst all that is absolutely valid, there is so much to celebrate about black culture and being black. And of course, within that, we know there's not one dimension to be to be in black. There's a lot of texture, there's a lot of nuance to it. And so for me, I think, you know, while we absolutely must acknowledge the pain, the the history and the systems that have created the injustice, I also wanted to shift the narrative to the world's in a place where we're focusing on the positivity you know it, it's fantastic to be black I love being black you know so whether it's our creativity whether it's acumen whether it's the impact we have on public culture you know there's a kind of ways that we positively impact society at large and that's what for me Black History Month is about you know celebrating that that joy of being black. Tell us a little bit about your background and the lens you bring to your work as um, I believe born in Ghana? That's right. That's right. And I think it, it was interesting as I was listening to Michael and Lisa, there's a lot of uh, synergy in my own story. So I was born in Ghana. I moved to the UK when I was three and I was raised in a working class neighbourhood in Liverpool. And, you know, I was definitely that child. Um, I think um, Michael spoke about being an outsider who didn't always have the latest trainers because, frankly, my immigrant parents didn't always have the funds for that. And then I ended up going to Oxford. And that's a very truncated kind of summary of my background. But I'm telling the story because I do believe 
like Lisa has said, that enables me to see the world from a lot of different perspectives. And, and if there's a word that sums up my career and my and my my life, I would say it's diversity. I'm very in tune with different views and different perspectives. And I think it's actually a superpower I have. But, you know, all that said, at least in terms of my own personal DI journey, I do believe that, that, that there's no room for complacency. You know, we're all, we're all learning. We're all on this journey and trying to educate ourselves. And so for me, in, in that context of ha having said that I have a superpower, I always say to people, you know, call me out on my blind spots because we all have different vantage points. We all have different definitions of privilege that we bring to a table. We all have blind spots. So I always say to my team and I always say to people around me, you know, tap me on the shoulder if I'm displaying a, a blind spot or I'm not seeing a perspective because that way we lift all boats together. Now tell us a little bit about Meta, of course, being the parent company of Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp. Would you highlight an example that speaks to you in terms of how the company is celebrating Black culture? Well, I'm very lucky and we're very lucky at Meta in that actually we celebrate Black History Month at least three times a year. So, of course, you have Black History Month in the US right now. In, in the UK, we have it in October. And in Latin, we have uh, uh, Black Consciousness Month in November. So we get lots of opportunity um, to celebrate Black culture and Black history. Um, an example I'd love to call out in terms of what we're doing in the US this month is around the metaverse. Of course, you have a meta exec here, so I'm going to talk about the metaverse. Um, but if you have a Quest 2 virtual headset, you can come with us on a virtual tour of an international space station led by Victor Glover. And Victor Glover was the first African-American astronaut to live for an extended period um, in the International Space Station. And so what's really exciting for me is how we're bringing Black culture to life and celebrating our creativity uh, through the lens of the metaverse and how we're using technology um, to, to smash stereotypes. So I'm very excited about, about bringing those two aspects, those two aspects together. Kerry, I know you've had an extensive career globally from the Anglo-African lens and beyond as a marketer. What responsibility in your mind does marketing have when it comes to inclusive storytelling? I mean, Margaret, it's, it, it, it's huge, really, isn't it? And how I like to think about the role of marketing is from two aspects. I often talk about in front of the camera and also behind the camera. And when we speak of in front of, in front of the camera, I think I'm speaking globally here. The bottom line is that we need to see more examples of black people in front of the camera. And further to that, um, I think we also need to kind of expand that representation you know, 10, 15 years ago, we saw examples, unhelpful stereotypes and unhelpful representations of black people, you know, typecast as criminals and the like. And I, and I do believe there's a responsibility for marketeers, whether it comes to content, drama, um, to, to really show this broad spectrum and this broad tapestry of blackness. And I think if I look at the UK, for example, we're making a lot of a lot of progress in that. I think we're seeing, um, you know, even in the past year or so, um, big flagship brands like John Lewis, which is a huge department store in the UK, their holiday ads this year featured uh, a black family, you know, very normal stage, just the, the normalness of being black. Or um, they've also followed that up in recent times with um, commercials that have that have um, a black boy as a protagonist. So I think we need to see these broader representations um, of blackness and move away from some of the stereotypes. But I do also want to speak about behind the camera because I think that the, the two things go hand in hand. And I think as marketeers, we need to broaden the people who sit around the table. Let's invite our, make sure that our black colleagues are sitting around the table. Because I do think that if you think about some of the high profile missteps we've all seen in the past, I'm not, I'm not going to name names. I think a lot of that is occurred because we don't have that richness of representation around the table. You know, you don't have the person who goes, 
whether it's a marketeer or whether it's a creative producer who says, hang on, have you thought about that angle? And so I think it's really critical to look at it in front of the camera and behind the camera. And, you know, everything I'm describing here is not about it being a nice to do. It's a business imperative. I think McKinsey has shown Mm -hmm. that companies that uh, invest, that are most ethnically diverse, outperform those that aren't by 36%. So really, it's it's a bit of a no-brainer. And so that's where I think the role of marketing is so, is so important, as I say, in front of the camera and also behind the camera. And very briefly, Kerry, what advice would you offer to other brands navigating these issues internally, particularly marketing leaders who truly want to do the right thing and celebrate culture? I'll be very brief because I think um, Michael and and, and Lisa touched beautifully on the point about authenticity and, and the role of black people. You know, we should be we should be part of the story, but not have a tax placed on us. The thing that I want to call out, though, is also about investment. So last year in the UK, for example, I did um, a roundtable with some black female entrepreneurs. And the one thing they said to me is, you know what, Carrie, we are a group of people who are overly mentored, but underinvested. And so it's really critical to put that investment, invest in black businesses, invest in black people so that we don't just have a rhetoric. You're also following up the following up um, what, what you're doing for Black History Month with proper dollars, proper investment. I think that's absolutely, absolutely critical. Thank you for that counsel, Carrie. So now going to Portland, Oregon to say hi again to Aaron Sebron over at Adidas. And your word was excellence. Tell me why. Thanks, Margaret. And, and when I said excellence, I was really not necessarily talking about the month, but talking about Black history in general. And history is something that is learned. And so if you think about the learned history, you know, Black people in textbooks are normally just relegated to stories of uh, overcoming brutality, slavery, overcoming oppression in the civil rights movement. But if you really think deeply about that, our history is so much more than that, so much richer than that. And so If you think about the fact that Black History Month wasn't even acknowledged in in America until 1976 by President Gerald Ford for context, my parents graduated from high school in 1975. So it's only one generation ago that that our history was celebrated and the excellence was celebrated. And so for me, when you juxtapose that backdrop of significant portions of our history being neglected with the fact that as a people, we have uh, made so many accomplishments in every endeavor in this country, in this world, I can't think of a more fitting word than excellence for what for what Black people have contributed to this country. So, Erin, you mentioned your parents. Tell us a little bit about your background and how that influences your professional career as a marketer and storyteller. For sure. And there's a lot of Canadians on the call. I grew up in Metro Detroit, so I spent a lot of time in Canada driving across the border, but I can't claim Canada. But my background and my upbringing it engendered me with a lot of empathy. So I grew up in the suburbs of Detroit and throughout my childhood and even up until this day, I constantly find myself in positions where in one moment I might be in a room where very few or no one looks like me. And then I might be in the next moment be in a room where everyone looks like me. And so that was my upbringing. And so for me, despite those rooms being different and feeling different, I always have to find ways to get comfortable and contribute in whatever room that I was in. And I think to do that, I have to really learn about the other people in the room, learn about what makes them tick. And then from there, from that place of learning, I could influence and drive outcomes and drive change. And so uh, this definitely spills into kind of how I approach marketing because I'm constantly having to learn about consumers, be very empathetic, and take that learning to infuse into strategies and tactics for how I go about marketing. 
So, Erin, I'm doing a little math, and I'm inferring that you might be a little earlier career than uh, some of the rest of us on the call. Maybe speak to that a little bit, the intergenerational component and perhaps things you're observing in terms of what's resonating with youth, what gives you excitement that you're seeing vis-a-vis celebrating Black culture. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so like I like I said earlier, right? Black History Month was not a thing until 1976. My dad graduated high school in 1975. So the most formative learning years, Black History Month wasn't a thing. I now have a son. You might even be able to hear him. He's screaming behind me right now. He's four months old. He will grow up in a world where, you know, based upon everything that happened in 2020, where Juneteenth is now a thing. Companies recognize Juneteenth. And so what I'm encouraged by is that with each generation, and a lot of people talked about this earlier, the learning, the understanding, the empathy, the exposure becomes greater and greater with each generation. And so what I'm excited about is that I grew up in a world understanding and appreciation for who I am and and where I come from that was different than my father. And my son will grow up in a world where who he is and and what he represents will be different than what I have experienced. In your work, Erin, you're close to the highly influential worlds of sport and fashion. How do you think about honoring Black History Month in that context? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think so in, in our context, and I want to be very clear, that I speak on behalf of the category that I lead, not the brand in totality. I think we approach it from the standpoint of Black History Month is the arc. It's the arc. It's, it's, the, um, it's the arc. But then uh, I was part of a program myself and a lot of a lot of other great leaders throughout the brand called Honoring Back Excellence, which was which we view as the heartbeat where uh, we honor living legends and communities of uh, saying in our communities about giving giving people flowers while they're still here. One of the biggest things in black culture is that we honor people once they're gone. And so the group of categories that I get the pleasure of leading uh, football and baseball are two of them. And so we honored some of the leaders of the uh, Liberty City Optimist Club that are using the, the sport of football to make a difference in that community. We put them on a pedestal, celebrated them in their community. Use sport of baseball, uh, an organization called LEAD based in Atlanta that uses sport of baseball to educate black boys uh, in Atlanta. And we honored them in Atlanta. And so I was part of this program called HBE where we identified community leaders throughout the country and then honored those individuals throughout the year in addition to the ARC being Black History Month. Erin, from that vantage point and your proximity to youth, what advice would you offer other brand leaders? Yeah, I mean, I would. I think I would echo, you know, going later in the panel, you, you start to echo what other people have already said. But I, I would say, you know, the biggest thing, don't just focus on the month of February, right? A lot of people have said that. Um, and, and Carrie referenced the McKinsey study. And I did my research. I took a couple notes, too. You know, there's a far bigger opportunity that just lies with the Black consumer that is above and beyond the month of February. You know, according to McKinsey, Black households spend $835 billion on consumer expenditures. And so to put that number in context, that's bigger than the trailing 12 months revenue of Amazon and Apple combined. So like, think about that perspective. Black people spend that much on consumer expenditures. And so people who are only focusing on the month of February are missing the bigger point. And I think the other thing I would add, it would echo what a few people said is your rooms have to look different to get after the opportunity. And if your room doesn't look different, don't be shy about pursuing expertise. No marketer would go out and say, oh, I want to make a commercial. I'm going to do it on my own. Oh, I don't, I'm going to buy media. I'm going to do it on my own. You hire expertise. And so I think if your rooms can't change quick enough, get the expertise if you're going to go after the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you very much for that, Aaron. Now to LA we go. 
where Lauren said her word was performative. Yes. Do tell tell us why, Lauren. Well, you know, and I think this is a combination of my experience growing up and celebrating and honoring Black History Month as a as a child and as a student, and then being in the professional world for a couple decades here. What what I've seen is that often, not always. It can feel like it is a bit of a public or artistic performance, which is essentially the definition of the word. And the risk that I see with that is that it can um, end up being reductive, where you're really isolating that specific day and month to encompass what, what I think I believe and many of us on this call believe are the incredible contributions of Black people to building our country. And so to the extent that we all agree that Black history is American history, clearly we, um, and I really liked what um, what Aaron said about having it maybe be the punctuation or the inflection point or the arc on what should be a much longer term evergreen commitment to telling inclusive stories and really raising up the contributions of Black people to U.S. history, but also, of course, to the world history. Tell us, Lauren, about your background and highlight what you think essentially contributes to your tremendous career as a marketer. Well, it's really fascinating because I've been listening so intently to each person and I do see a really consistent thread. What I would describe my background is, is multi-layered and nuanced. And, you know, I'll share with this group. Yes, I'm black and I'm also uh, born to a Jewish white mother. I'm a woman and I was born in Denmark. So I'm very used to not confirming people's biases about me because, you know, there's no way that you could guess that that was my background. And while that as a young person was a bit challenging to navigate, as I've gotten older, I would agree with others that it is very much a superpower or a gift because every room I walked into, I was guaranteed that there was nobody in there who had the exact same set of experiences. And so my focus was always on really understanding at a deep level the perspectives of others and trying to build out a level of empathy so that I could think about how I could bring that group together towards something that was was common and that we all could could really get behind. And when I think about that context for marketing, it just allows you to be much more, I use the word nuanced again, and to capture stories in a more authentic way that celebrate the uniqueness of individuals who happen to have a number of different backgrounds potentially combined into one individual person. So I, I would say that that is, is really been a gift for me to, to think about how we get at the core insight that is beneath whatever piece of marketing we might be putting together and sharing so that it isn't performative, but rather it does motivate the individuals who are you know, receiving the, the marketing to, to think differently. Now, Lauren, you're at a technology company, Thought Exchange, an employee or, if you will, enterprise discussion platform. Talk to us about the role of technology in inclusion and inclusive storytelling. Yes, thanks for asking. So Thought Exchange is a, it's a collective intelligence platform and the entire foundation of the platform is to scale diverse perspectives and remove bias in order to solve critical challenges and we actually work a lot with large 
corporate organizations and also in K to 12 education. So it's a fascinating intersection. And, you know, we fundamentally believe and, and those who founded the organization believed that every voice has value and that also humans are bias. So that is part of the human condition. And it requires a lot of dedication, work, and frankly, energy to counteract that on a daily basis. And so one of the goals of, of this technology in particular is to figure out how can technology help to provide a place and a space where people can enter into dialogue without some of that, that bias coming into, into play. And, you know, again, we know people typically don't seek to be uncomfortable. And so they will often avoid those situations. So this platform, and I imagine other platforms that have anti-bias technology, it's really about creating that safe space and then removing the barriers that often get in the way of having candid, transparent exchanges of perspectives so that you can get to that more authentic, truthful conversation. So again, you know, I can't stress enough. I'm, I'm, I spent my career in, in large organizations like PepsiCo and Dell, and I often saw how a failure to truly hear each other's perspectives caused us to make the wrong decisions. And so what I love about being able to provide a technology like this is that we we can actually meaningfully impact the direction of organizations and institutions that are shaping our future. That's really interesting. The premise of removing bias at scale. Correct. Uh, yes, indeed. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Lauren. Anything else I didn't ask that you'd like to highlight briefly? The only thing I'd like to highlight is, you know, I talked about Black History Month feeling performative, and I mentioned that it really ideally isn't about a month, but it's about creating these types of discussions and uh, telling these truthful stories on a regular basis. Um, and so, you know, I did want to highlight for, for Thought Exchange, what that has meant is in addition to working with, you know, large companies, we also spend a lot of time focused on building deep relationships with certain organizations that we believe have the power to move society forward. Um, and I did want to highlight one, um, and this has been a long-term relationship with Inroads. And it has a special place in my heart because I was an Inroads intern, you know, in high school. And that provided me with the access to rooms that I would never have even known existed. And so what we do is we support organizations like Inroads in having these types of conversations so that they can design a strategy strategy to help provide more pipeline into the rooms where those decisions are happening. So I did want to highlight that. Thank you for that, Lauren. Now let's go. I think you're next, Nasima. I believe your word was resilience, Black History Month, resilience. Tell us more, please. Yeah, so when I hear Black History Month and also listening to the, my colleagues on the panel, Resilience comes to mind because across the continent, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Africa, I think one of the few, one of the only panelists that is Black and in the African continent. So I say resilience because across the continent, everywhere in the world, you'd see that whatever it is that is thrown at us, we just get up, pick it up and go. We never say never. We never give up. So we are constantly thriving to make the most of the situation where we find ourselves in, whether we are in a situation where people of color are in minority 
or you're even in a continent in Africa where majority of us are black. So in, in, I mean, African blacks don't necessarily celebrate Black History Month because every, every month we celebrate ourselves, if you get what I mean. But there's so much going on around us that the word resilience just comes to mind because you're constantly thriving to be at your best, to excel, to ensure that everything that you're doing is top notch. You've had an extraordinary career in the continent of Africa promoting consumer products, notably for many years at Unilever. What insight would you share with us that that perspective has given you? One of the things I have um, have come to realize is many people outside of the African continent know very little about the African consumer, the African citizen. So we have brands or products or services that are thrown at consumers that are not necessarily connected or connecting with the consumers. So one of the things I've heard a lot around here is about authenticity. And how can you stay authentic when you don't know the people that you serve? How can you stay authentic when you don't know where the shoe pinches for this? So I think working within the African continent and working on brands that are necessarily African, I mean, Unilever is a global company with global brands. One of the things that we do well within this continent is trying to connect with our citizens to understand really, if you're bringing global brands or global services to the people, how would those services meet the needs of the Nigerian or the Ghanaian or the Kenyan consumer, whether they are in the urban areas or they are in the rural areas? At the end of the day, all humans, wherever you are, whether you're black, whatever the color of your skin is, we've got basic needs. And I think the role of marketing and the role of brands is to ensure that we are meeting those needs and creating value for the people that we serve every single day. So it's not enough to say in one month, I'm celebrating a group of people. It's got to be that month, yes, you can highlight it to spotlight it, but the conversation just has to continue every day, walking through our brands and walking through the services that we offer. Nisima, is there a Unilever campaign that you would like to highlight that you think got it right or wrong and what we can learn from that? I think one of the things I would say that with Unilever, purpose is critical. And Unilever would speak purpose either as a global brand or using the brands. And one of the missions, one of the, the, the let me just share a phrase that we, we use often at Unilever that says that brands with purpose would grow. So if I look through the Unilever brands, I look at Ben and Jerry, for example, and how it stands up for like Black Lives Matter. They don't just jump into the conversation. They walk the talk with the people and they would stand in front of the people to say this, we are fighting this cause because our consumers, the people that use our brands every day, these things matter to them. Not every Unilever brand will jump onto a conversation. You first must earn the right to be part of it. So a, a brand like Ben & Jerry would do that and they do that consistently. And I think they get it right because over the period of time, they've earned the trust of the consumers to say, yes, you can speak on matters like this. Nasima, we've had a rich discussion thus far. Anything you think we've missed that you'd like to highlight from your vantage point in Africa and from your career as a global marketeer? I think a lot has been said and, and, and I hear around being authentic. One of the things 
I think as marketers, is about telling the whole story. My colleagues on the panel have spoken about how sometimes the Black people or the Black race tend to be spotlighted, not highlighting all the positives, all the great things that they're doing, but sometimes you just put in, in situations that are not completely um, representative. So I think as marketing people, we must identify the positives that we see within the community and highlight it. And I think it was Laurie that said about investing behind it. So it's not just enough to do the talk, talk, talk. We also have to back up the talk with action. So we say something about what do the brands or what do the companies say and what exactly are we doing? Are we seeing and doing the same thing that brings synergy to drive the results that we want to see? So I think the point here is there's a lot of talk going on, but we need to back up that talk with action, real actions that we can measure the impact and measure the results over a period of time. Thank you very much for that, Nasima. So let's now go to Maurice. Maurice, I believe you said grace. Yes, grace is my word. I said grace for a couple of things. One, Black History Month is a gift that allows me and family members and others to really focus on learning more about uh, the Black experience uh, in America and, frankly, the diaspora. But secondly, it's also a gift, a moment of grace that it allows us to step back and see what Black history says about the work still to be done in the country. It's a mirror in my mind. And so it really is this jumping off point for, okay, look, we got work to do. Black History Month allows us to look at that. That mirror is the history of Black people in America. You can't look at the history of Black people in America and not see that America is unfinished. It is becoming. And so in my mind, those are moments of grace when you get a chance to focus on that. Maurice, briefly tell us about your story and why you decided to join 110 after a remarkable career in public and private sector. Well, my story actually starts with my grandparents in a little small town in rural Virginia. I was born and raised on a farm, raised by grandparents. Grandfather born in 1914, went to school for six years in a barn. And then because he was black, actually the word at that time was colored, because he was a low colored boy, he was not allowed to go to school in any formal sense beyond that. The, pup, the county wouldn't send a bus to pick up a low colored child out in the country to transport them 10 miles to, to town to go to the segregated school for coloreds. My grandmother was born in 1919, and she lived in town, so she could walk to the local school. And in 11 years, she got her house high school diploma. Those two were the game changers in my life when it comes to mortals. And but neither one of them had the opportunity to go on and further their formal education and the other things that come with that. And so when I work on 110, which is dedicated to the proposition of family sustaining jobs 
and careers for Black talent without four-year degrees, I see it as one of the ways that I can continue to say to my grandparents, thank you. Thank you for the transformative work that you did in my life and others. And so that's really part of what moves me uh, on a spiritual level and on a personal level to, to do the 110 work. Maurice, there have been other programs focused on Black talent. What is different about 110? And tell us here how we as brand leaders can get involved with the initiative. Yeah, there have been others. But 110 is the largest private sector-led journey, movement um, that focuses on family-sustaining careers and jobs for Black talent without four-year degrees. And oh, by the way, that's 76% of all Black talent in the workforce today in America. So there's actually not been an effort like this in my lifetime. Now, you alluded earlier that some of us were younger than others, and that's true. I still consider myself young. But in my lifetime, there's not been a private sector effort like this with scale. Companies, brands can get involved in a number of different ways. I know we're going to come back to this in the end. But the the thing that I would tell brands is this is about skills first, hiring and promoting. It's about really moving from a place where credentials are the gateway to the middle class in America to a place where we as a country, and frankly, I hope across the world, are using a skills first approach to hiring, a skills first approach to promoting every brand in our hearing, in our seeing can do this. And Maurice, to be clear, it's skills first to hiring and promoting versus credentials? Yeah, and I want to be clear about this. It's not one or the other. It is skills first and look at the ways in which people can come about those skills. A four-year degree may be one way that a person can come about the skills needed on day one for a job, but it could also be military experience. It could also be a two-year degree. It could also be other work experience. It could be a combination thereof. The point is, let's focus on identifying the skills and recognizing that there are multiple pathways through which you can come to those skills. So it's not about four-year versus. No, it's about let's focus on the skills. Drop a few names. Tell us some of the brands that you're working with. Yeah, right so you've got the Cisco's of the world, the AT&T's of the world, the JP Morgan Chase's, the Walmart's, the Merck's, the IBM's, the Amgen's. We've got 65 plus brands across the country that have joined this coalition. And in the first nine months alone, They've hired and promoted 25,000 Black talent into family-sustaining roles who don't have four-year degrees. This is doable. Great. 
Well, thank you for that. And I believe you've only been around since 2020. So what a remarkable right. story. And I encourage everyone in the audience, I know we've hundreds of brands in this audience, to please reach out to Maurice. Truly a remarkable initiative at 110. Now I'm going to go back for our signature commitments round. Time is not our friend. So I'm going to impose on you to be as concise as you can, starting top of the order with Michael from NPR. And here is my commitments question. As a marketing leader, what is your commitment to inclusive storytelling and how will you measure success? Michael. Well, it's it's in our our North Star mission right now, which is that we want our audience to re truly reflect America, and that's our commitment to get there. But we have a long way to go because it's we're still not, especially among Hispanic and Black uh, audiences. But that's our commitment, and and we measure it as you know, pretty uh, straightforwardly. We look at what's the composition of the people that are consuming our content, and we and we update our team on that you know monthly. Okay, thanks, Michael. Lisa, same question, commitment, and how will you measure success? Yeah, the last part is hard. So for me, really, I think there's a couple of things. One, to honor the stories of the past and celebrate and give voices to those who are creating um, creating today. And I think it's the unheard, the underrepresented, and also the underinvested are really important for me. And I think for me also ensuring that we have more people getting trained for jobs that are kind of like what we talked about 110 so for me and looking at that impact so the what we can measure is the number of people being hired into being trained and hired into jobs carrie over to you what is your commitment to inclusive storytelling and how will you know that you're moving the needle question and i think i alluded to this earlier i'm a big believer investing in underrepresented communities. So the team that I head up at Meta and EMEA, we have a very clear target about increasing our investments in with diverse suppliers by 30% year on year. And we've also established a stretch goal as well for that. So I believe by putting our money where our mouth is, we'll move the needle in significant ways. Erin, your personal commitment to inclusive storytelling. For me, it's really about kind of what I said earlier in terms of making sure the rooms I'm in where we're thinking about stories. If if I'm in one that I'm speaking up, if there's not other people that look like me in that room, making sure more people are in that room. And if there are there are times where there's no one in the room, how do we get the expertise so that we are more inclusive in the way we approach things? Nansima. I would say right back to purpose. Everyone has got identified purpose. And the purpose is not just about words so as what the brands are saying, but actually, more importantly, that what the brands are doing every day, that the consumers or the people can feel the impact in their everyday lives. So it's brand say, brand do, hinged on purpose. And Maurice, what is your commitment and how will you measure success with a name like 110? I'm going to bet there's a <laughs> quantifiable metric that you will offer us. One million Black talent without four-year degrees into family-sustaining careers and jobs over the next 10 years. One ten. That's exactly how we will measure the big picture. There are others, but that's the those are the headlines. Very quickly, I'm going to give you an extra opportunity for a commercial. How can a brand get involved? 
join us. You can reach out to me at maurice.jones at 110.org. There are 65 brands. We'd love to have the coalition to grow. We wanted to double this year. So please reach out. There's a website, 110.org. I would love to have you uh, in the number. The, The bigger the demand, the bigger the signal to the market that this is real and doable. So thank you for that airtime. Thank you, Maurice. And with that, on behalf of all of us present, I would like to thank all of our seven speakers. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your stories, your perspectives, and your successes. Throughout this inclusive storytelling series, I've become a firm believer that conversations like this one, even uncomfortable ones, can, when engaged with open hearts and willing minds, can instigate profound progress and sustained action. Today we conclude, inspired by words from three writers, echoes of which we heard in today's conversation. It is not our differences that divide us. It is our inability to recognize, accept, and celebrate difference. Audrey Lord. Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. James Baldwin. This time will be different because this time will be different. We already are. Amanda Gorman. As marketing leaders, the opportunity before all of us is to build brands that reflect and shape a more inclusive, resilient and equitable society and planet. Thank you once again to our panel. We look forward to tracking your progress as you live the commitments shared today. Thank you to our audience and please mark your diaries to join us again on Monday, March 7th for our International Women's Day panel. Thank you to my team, my fellow producers, Alison Shiver and Aaron Proud, assisted today by Aisha Ewing, Chisum Ezibuka and Mick Smith, blog editor Daniel Alonso with Madeline King, designer Gisem Karatas, our People's ERG, and the entire team at Siegel and Gale. And a reminder that you can share this episode and listen to all our previous CMO roundtables by subscribing to How CMOs Commit wherever you listen to podcasts. And there is a link to that and a link to register for March 7th in the chat now. With that, on behalf of all of us at Siegel and Gale, I'm Margaret Malloy, thanking you for joining us. Thank you for joining How CMOs Commit. You've heard the strategic insights and professional commitments of top brand builders from around the world. I hope you also enjoyed my reflections on how this conversation is relevant to all marketers. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. And please rate, review, and share this podcast. Until next time, 
This is how CMOs commit.